turn to the book of James, the book of James, and we're going to be in chapter number one tonight. James chapter number one, and I do have one printed off here. If anybody does want it, you're welcome to come up and get it. Ten dollars, if you want it. It's free if you bring if if uh, if you bring a baby up with you. They can help you preach. All right, you found your place. James chapter number one, verse number thirteen. We're going to start reading. Good to see Brother Jimmy and Miss Jennifer. Today's Miss Jennifer's birthday, so happy birthday, Miss Jennifer. Good to good to see you tonight. Good to see Brother Jimmy too, but especially you. <coughs> The other day was Brother Bobby's birthday, so just in case, Brother Bobby, happy birthday. I forget about singing happy birthday on Sundays. There's nothing written in stone that would have to do that, but I forget. So I'm doing my best to try to remember these birthdays as they come along. But James chapter number 1, verse number 13, if you will, you pray for us as we read, and we'll try to, uh, to hurry on. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man when he is tempted, excuse me, every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Now, I need y'all in verse number 16, this is, this is just a matter of what, maybe six or seven words. Six words, I believe it is. Do not overlook this very, very small verse because in the middle, whew, in the middle of a detrimental phrase in verse number 13 and verse number 14 and verse number 15, there comes some glory in the... In the trailing verses. And he says that death is the result of sin. But he uses these six words as an admonishment. And he says, do not err. And he goes on very quickly. And he says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And cometh down from the Father of lights. With whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Wherefore, or if I could say it like this, because of these things, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted words word rather which is able to save your souls and so i know there's some that haven't been here throughout this study so very quickly uh, just by way of introduction i want to give you this james from the very beginning he deals with the testings of our faith and and i'll not take the time to deal with that all tonight but he deals with the testing or the proving of our faith, but now he is dealing with the temptations to sin. 
And there is a difference. And, and I've told you that the word testing that you find in those first 12 verses, or even the word tempt, it is the proving. But now we find in verse number 13 this word tempt and temptation as we find in the trailing verses. It is the solicitation to do sin. It is the enticement to do sin, okay? And so these two thoughts, this testing of our faith and this temptation to sin is connected by this thought. If we are not careful, the testings on the outside may be temptations or may become temptations on the inside. And so once again, now in our very first verse, we see in verse 13, let no man say when he is tempted. James uses the word when, not if, but when. I, I bring that to light because he says over in verse number 2, my brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations. And so this is not a matter of if, but it is a matter of when you are tempted to sin. And so we're not dealing with tonight, we're not dealing with, with perfect people. We're dealing with people that are striving to be perfect. We're, we're dealing with people that are growing. We're dealing with people that have growth, and that should be all of us. Somebody help me on this Wednesday night. And so with this thought in mind, I ask you the question, where does this fact of this impending struggle leave the child of God? And so with that, I'll give you the title of the message. We're on part three, I guess you would say. Uh, but this is, the title is A Gift in Temptation. Number one tonight, I want us to see the source of temptation. Again, it says in verse number 13, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God, this ought to bless your gizzard tonight. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. There's a lot of things that are blamed on God, and God has nothing to do with. Come on and help me right there. Uh, but it ought to bless our gizzards for the fact that God cannot be tempted with evil. I want you to know first under this thought of the source of temptation is it does not originate from God. Warren Wearsby said that God is too holy to be tempted and He is too loving to tempt others. Now, He will test you, as we found in those first 12 verses. He will put your faith to the test. He will prove you whether or not you are true to God, but He will not take that so far as to dangle sin out in front of you so that you might fall. He is, I said He is not going to do God will not do it. He loves you. Listen, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So why in God's earth would one think that he would want you to stumble and fall. That's circular thinking. Uh, there's no way that God would want you to fall just so he can pick you up. You've lost your marbles is what you've done. Uh, but God will not tempt a man. He loves you too much. So if God is not the originator of this temptation, 
Then where does it come from? Well, it originates from sin. You see this, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth any man. Here we go in verse number 14. But every man is tempted. Now understand when I say man, I'm talking about you ladies too, okay? But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. So it originates from self. I need you to notice these words. It says every man. Then it says when he. Then it says his own. So what are we dealing with? This is a this is an individual. Uh, you, you've heard it probably all your life. If so and so jumped off a bridge, would you go and jump off a bridge too? Well, some people might. But just be honest with you. Some people have that mentality. If everybody's jumping off the bridge, it must be the right thing to do. But the the sin, temptation, is individual. Every man, when he, his own. It does not say every person. It does not say when they. It does not say their own. But it it is singular. Then it uses this word. But every man, when he is Tempted. And this word tempted, y'all help me now. I know this is a mixed crowd tonight. But this word tempted, it means to be seduced as by a harlot. It means to be seduced by some woman that has painted her face, how that she has raised her hemline, how she has lowered her, her neckline, and she has done everything to present herself as attractive in order not to please a man in purity, but to make him fall, to get his eyes, to get his vision, to get his heart away from his bride, and to lay with him, and to get him to fall into sin. And so this idea of being tempted, it is to be seduced. One writer said that there is no no temptation appears as temptation. It always seems more alluring than it really is. Brother Jim has allowed me to to, uh, to hunt on his property the last few years, and and and, and it's fairly it's still kind of new to me, uh, and 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 I, and I always find it peculiar how that these deer they don't pay attention to where the corn's coming from. They don't pay attention that there's this metal bucket there that magically corn just comes out of it. They don't care about that. And all of a sudden they're sitting out there uh, 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 chewing on the corn, and boom, they go. And the other one, they might sit there and Paul, they might snort, they might look around and say, what happened to Joe? Next thing you know, old Paul, he gone too. They don't have any, they have no care in the world where it's coming from or what it looks like. All they know is it's there. You see, what has happened is uh, someone is going out there and they are tempting these deer to come in. I'm fixing to get to this luring here in just a minute. They are tempting the deer to come in. What is the reason that they're doing that, Brother David? You're talking Sunday night after church about clearing out some of that ice so you can put some decoys in. Why would you put decoys in there? To draw something in. Why do they put the... Why do they... I don't know that y'all do it around here, but y'all put decoy deer out in the out in the field. Why? To get some. Why do you blow on your 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 call? Draw something in. Why do you put Why do you put your trail cams out there? Because you're watching to see what's in the field. You see, what's happening is there is a seduction 
and and it, it doesn't it, you don't want it to appear like it's like it's going to harm them. And temptation is not going to make itself appear like it's going to harm you, but it's going to make itself appear as though it's as alluring as possible. And that's what temptation will do. And then he uses the word, he is, uh, every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticement. Now, i got to hurry. i got 19 minutes, but if I go over it, y'all ain't going to know unless I tell you. So I'm going to shut up about the time. He is drawn away. This word is to be lured from a hiding place. As I was preparing this and writing it down, kind of kind of last minute the thought came to my mind about this hiding place. Psalm 32, Psalm 32, 7 says, Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. Selah. And so the, the psalmist David, he says, Lord, you are my hiding place. Uh, but what is temptation trying to do? It is trying to draw us out. It is trying to lure us away from our hiding place. Uh, what you reckon temptation is trying to do? It's not trying to say, hey, you're out there in the open. I'll just stay out there and stay in your pen. No, it's trying to get you to come up from out underneath the shadow of God's wings uh, out there in the middle of sin. It's trying to get you to come out from underneath uh, the spout where the glory comes out uh, so that He can get a hold of you, uh, so the enemy can see you, and so He can devour you. Uh, that's what temptation, uh, that's what this drawing away is. He says He's drawn away of His own lust. This word lust, it's a longing. It, it, it's not necessary. Uh, sexual desire. It could be any desire. And and again, I believe it's Warren Wearsby. He said the normal desires of life were given to us by God and are not by themselves sinful. He says it is, however, when we want to satisfy those desires in ways outside of God's will, when we get into trouble. He went on to say in an illustration, he said, hunger is not wrong. But when you begin to steal food to satisfy that hunger, that's when it is wrong. You see, and, and that's, that's kind of a, a, a light illustration, but it makes the point. I sent Brother Lee a, a text this, this morning sometime, and I don't even remember exactly the wording of it. I, so I'm just going to kind of pull it back up if I can find it. What, who did I say it was? Lee. Lee, 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 Lee. Here it is. A temptation is an opportunity to accomplish a good thing in a bad way. We must pass the test, but if we cheat to pass, it becomes sin. We must eat, but if we steal the food, we have sinned. Good things, but because of temptation, they become bad. You see, there are things in our lives that are necessity. But when we go about receiving or attaining them in the wrong way, they become sin. Then he uses the word enticed. This is to bait a hook or to be baited. Which again, James, he is, he's, he's picturing a, a, a hunter by drawing away. And he's picturing a, a fisherman by baiting a hook. I don't remember who it was that I... I read after this week, but they talked about it's very rare for a fish to, to, to eat, uh, to bite on a naked hook. Generally, the rule is you must cover that hook. You must put something, whether it be a worm, a cricket, a piece of bread, a piece of corn, a hot dog, a gizzard, a 
whatever it may be, you put it on there and they'll bite it. Saying, here's something attractive. Here's food. This is bait. But as soon as they bite it, they're hooked. It is not only originating from self, but we must understand that it is a work of Satan. Very quickly, I'm going to give you these references and only read just a couple. But it is a work of Satan, and you need to understand that Satan is called, at least in two places, the tempter. In Matthew chapter number 4, he is tempting the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is called the tempter. When the tempter came, what did he do? He began to tempt the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 3, verse number 5, he was called the tempter. But then also, and you find this in the Old Testament as well as the New, you find that he places men in snares in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24, 25, and 26. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach patience. Now he's given, he's given a direct, Paul is given a directive to, to Timothy how these servants of God need to act and how they need to be. He's talking about uh, deacons, he's talked about overseers, bishops, pastors, whatever you may want to call And he says, Servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle in all men. Apt to teach patience. In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledgement of truth. And that they may recover things out of the snare of the devil. Who are taken captive by him at his will. The de- I'm, we're talking about safe folk are being taken captive at the devil's will. Because of the snare, because of temptation. He is he is a tempter. He places men in sin, or excuse me, in snares. He is our adversary. You know it in first Peter chapter number five, verse number eight. He is our advocate. The devil is our adversary. He is as a, a lion. And then we find that he is in Revelation chapter 12, verse number 10. He is called the accuser of the brethren. So temptation. It is a work of Satan. Now, number two, I want us to see the scope of temptation. We saw, first of all, the source of temptation. Now let's look quickly at the scope of temptation. Y'all still with me on a Wednesday night? Come on. Number one, I want you to see this. It's conception. Look with me again in verse number 14. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. So we see, first of all, under number two, it's conception. And what began with a presentation of a choice. You have a choice of testings or temptation. You have a choice in this temptation to do good or to fall and to do evil. You, and I, I was, I was, I don't, I think it was with Braylon in her, uh, in her Bible study. Uh, we were dealing with the, the, the fall of, David and the choice that he made when he was on the rooftop of his castle or whatever you may want to call it, his palace when he saw Bathsheba. He saw Bathsheba and Kurt, it wasn't the first look that got him in trouble. It was a second. He said, you might not be able to control the first look, but you can control the second. Man, that hit me hard, Brother Bobby. I said that hit me hard. Because if we're not careful, something will pique our interest and we'll want to whip back and look the second time. 
And so we find here that there is a conception. What began as a presentation of choice ended with a wrong decision. Up on the rooftop that night, David was presented with a choice. He should have been at battle with everybody else is where he should have been. But instead he stayed at home. Let me tell you right here, it'd be good for us men to get where we ought to be and not be laying around where we ought not be. Somebody help me right there. We might need to be about business instead of just laying around all the time. Somebody help right there. And so we see here that David, and and this is not part of it, but it's making my point. David had a choice to make. And so what did he do? He made the wrong choice. He could have easily said, you know what? I'm in the wrong place. I'm at the wrong time. I'm not going to look again. Yes, she's probably pretty, but I ain't going to look no more. She she got her own business. I'm staying over here. I'm going to get far away. I'm not going to look anymore. I'm going down to my own place. I'm going down. I'm going to watch Sesame Street. I'm going to watch Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. I'm going to do something. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to sing Jesus Loves Me. I'm going to get on the piano. I'm going to pick up my fiddle. I'm going to blow my flute. I'm going to do something. But instead, he went to the wall and he looked again. Next thing you know, he inquired after her. He said, who is this lady? And before you know it, he done sent for her. Next verse, she conceived. That's what happens. Then when lust hath conceived. So there is a conception. It began as a choice. It ended with the wrong decision. And that decision, it results in a realization of something new. But this something may be unplanned and undesired. But you still got to deal with it. Then I want you to look at its birth. It says, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth. This, this is the picture of birth. If you, if you ladies have ever had a child, if you men have ever been in the birthing room, it is, it, is, it is the most amazing and the most gruesome and the most heart-wringing thing that you'll ever experience in your life. Thank you, Brother Eddie. And is it 707 for real? Good God Almighty. What time we start this thing? Y'all, I still got some time, I promise. <clears throat> I thought it was 7. Siri done messed up. We find that in this idea of birthing, when you're in the hospital or you're at home, what, what Kurt and Leah did something. I mean, they had an Abdullah or something other that come home with them. I thought an Abdullah was one of them things in your brain. Abdullah, I'm blown tired. And I don't even know where that's at up there, but y'all apparently have one in the room with you. And I still ain't figured out. Y'all done told me what it was. But I have no idea what she did. And I'm like, I don't, we, we didn't have one of these. Miss Irene, I guess she did have a <laughs> But whatever this person does, they're supposed to help mama through the process, I think. Tony, you're smarter than me. I don't know that you ever had one. Somehow she's supposed to help. And this idea of temptation, 
and lust. There really ain't no help outside of God. What's the birth here? There is no option. Over the last probably 15, 20 years or so, gender reveals have, 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 have become a, a, a huge thing. People go to great expenses. It, it, it's become such a thing. Grown folk don't even know what gender they are unless somebody tells them. I say we keep a, a, a pocket full of balloons and say, you are blue. Probably help a lot of people. But we find that that God plainly says that what temptation because of lust brings forth. Can somebody tell me what that little three three little word is? Sin. There is no choice. There is no boy, girl. There is no this or that. There is no if, ands, or buts about it. Lust, when it is conceived, bringeth forth sin. Now, you need to understand this. You can write this down if you want to. This is the offspring of temptation and lust. And it could be big, it could be small. It could be cute, it could be horrid, it could be condoned, or it could be rejected. But you need to know that it is still sin. And according to the Word of God, sin still has an end. With that, we look at it's finished. It's finished, the Bible says, when it is finished, when what? When sin is finished, it bringeth forth death. Once sin enters and it ruins everything its path, once sin uh, um, uh, 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 extracts every ounce of purity, once your testimony has been ruined, Romans 6.23 says it pretty good, that the wages of sin is death. Again, just as birth can only result in, in sin from lust, the only result of sin is death. Oh, but, but can I just step outside of my outline and tell you, there was a man. Woo! There was a man one day that came. <laughs> and he paid the price. He paid the penalty. He laid down the ransom. He paid the redemption price for you and I. Every man, every woman, every boy and every girl, every sin debt that ever could be extracted, I'm glad that He paid the debt for us all. I'm glad that Jesus saved. I'm glad that He paid it all. I'm glad today that Jesus has marked out every stain. He blotted it. It's gold. Hey, man, it's gold. I don't have to worry about it anymore. But I want you to know outside of Him the price of sin is death. Number three tonight. Salvation from temptation. Salvation from temptation. you got to look quickly with me. He says, do not err, my beloved brethren. <laughs> I had these notes handwritten and I forgot to write this down. Somewhere in, in amongst all of this was a little note that said, 
that said after, let no man say when he's tempted, I'm tempted of God. After, after, but every man is tempted. After, when it says when he is drawn away of his own lust. After when it says that lust is conceived and then sin and then how when it is finished it brings forth death. I wrote in the margin of my notes how great it would be if the glory could, if the warning could have come just before, if the glory could have come just before. And it said, I just want you to know, here's what's waiting on you. Here's what's waiting on you. It says, here's what's waiting on you, which is able to save your souls. That's what's waiting on you. And if you can just get to verse number 21, before you can ever get to verse number 13, 14, 15, you'll understand the reason verse 16 is there. He says, hey, there's something there. You don't have to worry. You're saved. You're protected. You're delivered from it. You don't have to worry. Yeah, you've got a choice to make. So do not err. But for whatever reason, James wrote all of this horrible thing. Then he gave us a warning. He said, do not err. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Then he said this. He gave us a clear sign of warning. We're talking about the salvation from temptation. He gave us a clear sign. Then he said, before James could ever get the glory of verse number 21, he's got to give us some admonishments. He's got to enlighten some of his readers here. He says there's some gifts that are given from God, and there's some gifts that are given by God there. Look with me in verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Now, if you've got a Schofield Bible, you, you, you can read that on your own time. It's number B. It's the second little note right there in the middle. It talks about two gifts there. He says every good and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights. And do not miss the Father of lights because you will miss the next two verses. He said coming down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. And so we find here, first of all, that he must enlighten and admonish his readers and tell us that the gifts given are from God and by God. He says that these are given to us. They come down from that. Notice it cometh down. It continually comes down. From the Father of lights. Uh, this word Father is the word Pater. And he says, He is the Father of all, for one. That is the word Pater. Uh, but then he says, The Father specifically of lights. Uh, now, this word lights, it can be abstract, artificial, natural, or concrete. And light originates from God. A uh, matter of fact, you look over in John chapter number one, uh, verse number one. I'm going to read a few verses. It says, In the beginning, somebody go ahead and say amen right there. I get anywhere else. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the light was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. And there was a man sent from God, his name was John. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, uh, that all men uh, through him might believe. Now, he was not that light, uh, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Can somebody tell me who was that light? 
Jesus Christ. John chapter number 8, verse number 12. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. In verse number 5 of John chapter number 9, he says, As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And so we ask our question this evening, why is all this so important? Why is this coming down from the Father of lights? Why is it so important? Because it gives reference to the next statements. He says this Father of lights, and these blessings, these gifts that come down. He says there's no variableness, not in the gifts, not in the gifts, but in the one that is giving, with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. He says there's no variableness, or variance rather, there is no shadow of turning. If you can with me just imagine an eclipse, I can only remember maybe one, possibly two solar eclipses, really just one, just several years ago. And I can remember folks were going out, and they were buying all kinds of glasses, and, and uh, the, where I lived, there were folks were running around, they had welding helmets on, they were looking up at the sky with a welding helmet. I, folks were borrowing this and borrowing that, and I'm like, y'all gonna be blind here for long. Y'all ain't got a lick of sense. And uh, they were, I mean, they're standing out there. You walk, you drive down Chapman Highway, and it looked like, uh, I don't know, uh, some kind of alien movie or something. The folks just in whatever they can see, just looking around, whatever they can find, just looking around. Uh, but imagine an eclipse. I want you to know that the sun is still up there. Uh, the sun is still burning. Uh, the sun is still doing what it's doing. It's still creating light. It's still creating heat. Uh, the human and I may not be able to see it except maybe just a little faint uh, a ring around uh, whatever, I guess the moon, whatever it was that ran between it and us. Uh, but you might not be able to see it, uh, but you need to know that it's still there. Uh, but God says there's no variableness, and God says in His Word that there's no shadow of turning. And so I want you to know tonight uh, that during temptation, uh, you might not be able to see God at work. Uh, you might not be able to see Him in your testing. Uh, you may not be able to see Him in your testing. Temptation, uh, but you need to know tonight that God has not changed. Somebody help me tonight. I need you to know tonight that God's standards are still high. Uh, God's presence is still near. Uh, God's word is still true. And God's light is still shining. And you need to know this evening as we go on just a little bit. I'm almost done. Uh, it says here uh, in verse number 18 of his own will he begot us uh, with the word of truth uh, that we could be a first fruits of his creatures. Uh, wherefore with uh, uh, beloved brethren, let uh, every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. As children of God, we must resemble God. Now, Brother Jody, you and I had a conversation this morning. We both came across this statement, and I'm going to share it with the people tonight. The statement is, the proof of the root is in the fruit. Uh, tonight, if you want to know what's under the ground, you're going to have to inspect the fruit. Uh, if you want to know uh, what is under, what is hidden on that tree, you're going to have to wait until it produces some fruit. Uh, if you say, well, I believe that's an apple tree, and that thing produces an orange, you can mark it down. That ain't no apple tree. That's an orange tree. It might be some kind of an orange tree. I have no idea. Uh, but it is not an apple tree. And if we're going to be a child of God, we have got to re uh, uh, represent the Lord. We have got to resemble the Lord. And so as such, we need to be swift to hear. Uh, we need to be slow to speak. We need to be slow to wrath. And we need to reckon. Brother Jody, he says, you need to recognize. Uh, somebody that ever talked to Jody a lot, he says, 
that all the time, don't it? You boys in Sunday school, y'all tell me you need to recognize. He says, he says you need to recognize what? Recognize that our wrath does not resemble God or His righteousness. Isaiah said that the best that we have is as filthy rags. Most of the time in our wrath, that's the worst that we have. So how in the world do we expect the worst that we have to resemble God and His righteousness? He said the best, the best that we have is filthy rags. So how can we expect the worst that we have? We need to resemble God. Then he says this. As children of God, we need to resemble God. Then we see this. He uses the word. He said, wherefore, lay apart. And this got under my craw. This got under my craw. I could not get away from this. Lay apart. It was the, Samuel, it was the apart that kept getting me. I'm like, that don't sound right. It don't sound right. Something's off on me. Brother Bobby, I kept saying, it, it seems like it should be another word. And so I began to, to search and I realized that this word is not so different. It's not so dissimilar to other scriptures like Hebrews chapter number 12, verse number 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. Or like First Peter chapter number 2 that we just preached about a few weeks ago. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speaking. It's not too far apart, but the difference is this. The difference is this. Apart means it speaks of an internal separation. To lay aside means to take something off and to place it somewhere else. Hebrews chapter number 12. Let us lay aside those weights and the sin. Here he says, let us lay aside. So what this means tonight is that we need to carve away. What are we to carve away? That means we are to carve away. Let's look at our verse here. It means to carve away the filthiness. One writer says that this possibly because of chapter number 2, and I believe it's chapter number 2, verse number 2, I think, it talks about a garment. And so he, he, he could have the same thought in mind. And so he says, take off that garment that you've had for so long that has adhered to your skin, that has nearly embedded to your skin. We talked about Isaiah just a moment ago and those filthy rags. You know those filthy rags, they, because the, the wound was so putrid and so vile, the rags just got down in it and it became as part of the wound. And so when you pulled it off, you were literally pulling it apart. And he says here, I need you to pull apart. Get that thing that has embedded itself. Oh, good God Almighty. Y'all better help me right here. Look right here. He says, I look, I woo! Brother David, I, I know you I want you to take off that filthiness. I want you to take off that thing that is just... 
putrid, that thing that is vile, wicked. It is nothing that should be a part of the Christian's life. Now, you, you remember you remember that little word engrafted, okay? Now, we come to this word filthiness, and it, and it, it, is, um, it is something that probably the other people could see. But the extent of how entangled it is, Jimmy, he is the light. We just read it. Jesus is the light of the world. Do you know what light does? It reveals that which cannot be seen. Do you know what he's doing? God is revealing things. James says God has revealed the Father of lights is revealing some things in your life. As you're going through, you just went through this testing. Now you're liable to go through some temptation. And when you go through the temptation, it is God and God alone that's going to be able to reveal some things that need to be taken, need to be carved out of your life. We find in Colossians, let me me, me back up. You, You got this word superfluity. Maybe you've heard the word superfluous. Another word would be excess. That's a whole lot easier to say. I hear people say superfluity. That's wrong. Please don't say that. You'll make my ADD go crazy. All right? It is excess. He says, I need you, I need you to carve away the excess naughtiness or wickedness. Those are things to remove. But James tells us now that we are to receive something. And here's that word engrafted. He says we are to receive with meekness the engrafted word. The engrafted means inborn or ingrown. He says you're supposed to carve out some things. You're supposed to carve out some things that have engrafted itself in you. So it becomes truly natural. It breaks itself to the word of God and allow it to engraft itself. Allow it to become a part of you. Allow it to become you. That's what we find here. James is, remember, James is trying to say, listen, you brothers, you sisters that are scattered abroad, you're not what you need to be. And James was willingly saying, I'm not either. And I'm saying tonight here at Lighthouse Baptist, I'm not perfect either. But I need us to know as a church that we need to grow together. And he's saying, whether it be testings or whether it be temptations, God is making a way for us to come through some things. Paul later wrote in Colossians 3.16, he says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Why is this important? He says that we might be saved. Now, just in case you get excited, this word saved is not the word that means born again. That's not what we're talking about. He's not saying, he is not saying, Kurt, that, that through all of this, Temptation, he's not saying you're not going to save yourself. What it says, don't misunderstand me. It says, save your soul. What your King James Bible says. He's not talking about saving yourself. This word is the word deliver. It is the word protect. It is it is the word that means <clears throat> save from temptation. 
And so we have to look at it in the context. We saw the testing first in the first 12 verses. And it says, blessed is the man that endureth those testings. And now we find in verse 13 down through verse number 21 that there is a, there is a temptation. But he says, you, you, you could, you could endure you could go through the temptation. You could fall and claw your way back up to the top. Or you could let the Word of God save you. You could do it. Brother Jody, we had this conversation. I don't remember if it was this morning or last night. But you could do it yourself. You could try to do it yourself. You could try to do it yourself. You could come out beaten black and blue. Bumpy all over, knobby-headed, everything else. You could try your best to do it, but I promise you, saving is available. Deliverance from temptation. Protection is available. We look at the context here, and we see that the same Word of God that delivered the Son of God, back there in Matthew chapter number 4, from temptation. Is the same word of God that we could use today. Not only that, but the same Son of God that was delivered from temptation. Way back in Matthew chapter number 4. Is the same one that on the cross and in the tomb and on the third glorious morning got up still sin. Y'all better hear me. Still sinless. I said still sinless on that third day. And Hebrews tells us that he, we have a high priest that can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Why? Because he was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. It's the same Word of God and the same Son of God. I wonder why. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. One and the same. One and the same. And he overcome those things. He says this. 1 John chapter number 2. John wrote sometime after the change. 1 John chapter number 2, verse number 14. He says, I've written unto you fathers because you have known him that is from the beginning. I've written unto you young men because you are strong. And the word of God abideth in you. And you have overcome the wicked one. This phrase abideth in you. It means deeply rooted. Think about it. Engrafted. Deeply rooted. Isn't that a blessing to know? Oh, goodness. Isn't it a blessing to know tonight that the, the, the trials of our faith, the first 12 verses, trials of our faith, we can endure. But this, this idea of temptation, we can't do it ourselves because it comes from us. We need an outside source, and God has provided that through His Son and through the Word, <laughs> and through the word of God. And because of that, because of God who created all things according to verse number 17 down through verse number 19. Because he's created those things and we are the first fruits of his creatures. He said because of those things we can have salvation in him. And we can become deeply rooted. I appreciate it tonight. Uh, Y'all pray for me. <clears throat> That's about 45 minutes. That's about 15 minutes over my 30 minutes that I've given me. And I feel pretty good about it. I'm a little upset about it, but I feel pretty good about it. <clears throat> Let's stand tonight. Thank you so much.